Good morning, Christ Prez. We're spending time in Psalm 23, and one of the amazing claims of this psalm is that with the Lord as our shepherd, we have everything we need. Now, if I asked you to close your eyes right now and imagine a life without lack, a life in which you have everything you need, what would it look like? What would it include? I bet it would include food. You know, food is one of our most basic needs. Think about how much of your life is spent thinking about food or preparing food or enjoying food, wishing that you had just a little bit more food or maybe wishing you'd eaten just a little less. Food is fairly central to our lives and it has been from the very beginning. You know, we all come into the world hungry and what becomes clear right away is that we won't be the ones to satisfy ourselves. You probably don't remember this in your own life, but if you've seen a newborn baby recently, you know this, when newborns are hungry, they don't go to the kitchen and preheat the oven and start preparing a meal. What do they do? They just cry until mom or someone who loves them attends to their need. We come into the world hungry and it becomes pretty clear early on that we won't be the ones to satisfy ourselves, but that doesn't stop us from trying. In fact, we spend most of our lives searching for what we think will bring us satisfaction, a sense of fullness. I wonder, what are you hungry for? What is it you think will really satisfy you? In the very beginning of the Bible story, we see that God intends to satisfy our hunger. We read this. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. See, we see that God wants to be the one to provide for us what is really good for us. And so he created trees that were not only beautiful to behold, but also pleasant on the palate. It's like the Lord has always been a good shepherd. He's always cared for his sheep by giving them what they need. Good shepherds not only lead their sheep, which we talked about last week, they also feed their sheep. They provide their sheep with nourishment and sustenance. In our psalm, in verse 2, we read that the Lord uh, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. See, this is what good shepherds do. They lead their sheep to food and drink where they can be nourished and satisfied. But from the very beginning, we use food to keep God at a distance. Remember, that's what Adam and Eve did. The snake tells them that by eating the forbidden fruit, they will be like God. We read this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And see, what are they doing? They're trying to satisfy themselves apart from God. They're trying to find fulfillment without him. They think that the fruit can make them like God, full and satisfied. And so they eat. And their eating is like an expression of their deep inner resistance to having a shepherd. They eat to satisfy themselves instead of being satisfied by the one who would feed them. Their eating is a way of keeping God at bay. Well, <laughs> good thing we never do that. 
take responsibility for our happiness and pleasure and satisfaction apart from God? No, we do that, don't we? We know on some deep level that we will not be the ones to feed ourselves, but we keep living like it's up to us. We know deep down that, as Augustine said, our souls will be restless until they rest in God. But as the prophet Jeremiah says, we keep digging our own cisterns that can't really hold water. And this isn't new. We see it in the very beginning of the Bible story. We read this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband and he ate, trying to satisfy themselves. Their eating is an expression of their deep inner resistance to having a shepherd. Verse 2 of our psalm boldly, joyfully declares that our good shepherd leads us to green pastures and still waters. He leads us to food and drink. This is a shepherd who feeds us. Will we let him feed us? Or will we keep taking responsibility for our own happiness and pleasure and satisfaction apart from him? I wonder, how are you trying to feed yourself? Which cisterns are you plunging the bucket of your soul down into, hoping it will come up with something to quench your deep thirst? And what would it look like to trust your good shepherd to feed you? Verse 5 continues the same theme, but in a different way. Here the imagery has shifted. We're no longer sheep or people. And at this point, we're no longer talking about the shepherd. We're addressing God directly. And what do we say? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's a rich image of being welcomed and abundantly cared for. And where? At a table. The Lord is my shepherd. He feeds me. That's true enough and wonderful. But this is even better. This is God himself welcoming us to his table where a meal has been carefully prepared and where we will find everything we need. Our cups will overflow because there's more than enough. And isn't this what we really want? Isn't this a deep longing of your soul? Maybe the deepest longing to join God at a table and to feast with the one who made us and loves us. But I wonder, what's going on with that line about enemies? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What's that about? To get at the significance of it, I want to recall a story from the life of Jesus. You remember one day Jesus was passing through Jericho, and in that town there was that wee little man, Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, and not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector which means that he was a Jewish man who was collaborating with the occupying Roman forces in a system known as tax farming. Basically, the Romans would get a local member of the community to serve as a tax collector, and there would be an agreed-upon amount of money that the tax collector would have to pay the Romans at the end of each year from the community. But that was about the only rule, and so the tax collectors would often take much more than what was required, and they would pad their pockets with the excess. As a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus would have overseen several others, 
other tax collectors in the community, and, and he probably got a big cut of whatever they collected. And so it shouldn't surprise us that in addition to being a tax collector, Zacchaeus is also rich. He's made a fortune swindling his fellow Jews out of their hard-earned money so that he can pad his own pockets, all in collaboration with the Roman oppressors. And so when we think about Zacchaeus, we have to realize that this is a man who is not loved by his community. If we ask the question, is Zacchaeus a man who has enemies? What's the answer? Yes, he's surrounded by enemies, which becomes pretty clear when Jesus comes through town because Zacchaeus, remember, is seeking to see Jesus, but he can't. And why not? Well, for one thing, he's short. He's a wee little man. Uh, It's hard to see when you're that short in a crowd. But what happens if you're short in a crowd full of friends? They let you through or they lift you up. They help you to see. But this isn't a crowd full of friends. This is a crowd full of enemies. They don't let Zacchaeus through to see Jesus. And he's too short to see over. So what does he do? He climbs a sycamore tree. Because he wants to see Jesus, but he doesn't want Jesus to see him. Sycamore trees in Israel, they have low branches and big leaves, and so they're easy to climb, and they're also easy to hide in. Zacchaeus, he hears Jesus coming, and he wants to see Jesus, and so he runs, and he hides in a tree. And we can hear echoes of Adam and Eve hearing the Lord walking in the garden and running and hiding among the trees. It's like they want to see without being seen. And so much of that has to do with their shame, right? They don't want to be known. They know that they've been misguided by their hungers. and, And now they're afraid of facing God. As much as Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, he also resists being seen by Jesus. Because he knows how compromised his life is. He knows that he's tried to satisfy himself at cisterns that don't really hold water. He knows that he's been hungering for the wrong things. Now pause here and let's just reflect on this for a second. Given what we know about Zacchaeus, given how hated he is by his community, what would it mean for someone to welcome him and to prepare a table for him and to anoint his head with oil? and to fill his cup to overflowing. I mean, what would be the consequences for someone who extended that kind of hospitality to Zacchaeus, that despised wee little man? Well, here comes Jesus. Jesus and the crowd, they stop right at the tree where Zacchaeus is hiding, and Jesus looks up, and he looks right at Zacchaeus. And he addresses Zacchaeus. And, and what the crowd expects Jesus to say is, is just a real um, kind of, uh, he, they expect Jesus to give Zacchaeus a real talking to, right? To scold him, to tell him to get his act together, to, to call Zacchaeus to repentance. Stop hungering for the wrong things. Turn away from all of that. Get your life together. And that's what Zacchaeus expects too. But instead, Zacchaeus looked, Uh, Jesus, he looks up right at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, 
for I must stay at your house today. I mean, family, do you see this? He's basically saying, I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And I'm going to anoint your head with oil and your cup will overflow. What happens when someone chooses to identify with and offer hospitality to one who is surrounded by enemies? Well, hang on to that question. You remember, this wasn't a one-off thing for Jesus. I mean, this is just the way Jesus was. He was always eating with the wrong people. It's like he just made it his regular practice to eat with people who no one else wanted to eat with. He made it his habit to eat with people who everyone else um, wanted to, to keep at a distance. And remember in Jesus' day, to share a table with someone, um, it, was, it was to identify with them. It was a sign of deep relationship. It was a way of saying, we're in this together. It was a way of saying, I want to be like family with you. What about you? Do you see this, that your community might despise you? They might be ashamed of you. You might be ashamed of yourself. But the Lord is not ashamed of you. He seeks you out. He welcomes you to his table. The Lord prepares a table for us. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. And what about your enemies? I mean, the psalm tells us that God does all of this in the presence of our enemies. When Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus down from the tree and went to his home to share a meal with him, we read this about the crowd that was gathered around. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Like Jesus has done something that just profoundly offends their religious sensibilities. Jesus has effectively shifted their hostility off of Zacchaeus and where? Onto himself. And do you see this family that the love of Jesus is costly? That by welcoming Zacchaeus, by calling him down from the tree and going to his home, Jesus is identifying with him. He's identifying with his shame and with his sin. And so the crowd is already beginning to treat Jesus like they treated Zacchaeus. They're grumbling and they're muttering and they're thinking less of him. You see, this is what always happens when Jesus makes himself the friend of tax collectors and sinners. People grumble and people mutter and people begin to whisper and plot about how they can put Jesus to death. All the hostility that was directed toward the tax collectors and sinners gets directed at Jesus instead. What about your enemies? Who are they, really? You know, according to the story the Bible tells, you only have three. Sin, death, and the devil. And we're going to talk about these three next week more. But for now, just see this. When the Lord prepares a table for you in the presence of these enemies, he does it knowing that their hostility and all the consequences of it will ultimately fall no longer on you, but on him.
He knows that because he welcomes you and identifies with you, sin and death and the devil will do their worst to him. And he doesn't care. He does it anyway. He goes ahead and prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. This is his costly love for you. I wonder, what do you think it is that will really satisfy you? What is it if not this, the very life of God given for you, the costly love of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection for you? Isn't this what you really want? Isn't this what you really hunger for? To sit down at a table with this one who sees you and knows you and welcomes you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Believe the gospel, family. In Jesus' name, amen.